and welcome to another episode of Spooky Scary Fun Time. As promised last week, I will be doing a penitentiary. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and I have chosen the famous penitentiary, um, ESP, or Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. Apparently everything's a tongue twister to me today, which is another location that is reported to be, and I'm really tempted to say hella here. But to be more proper, I'll say is ripe with activity rather than hell haunted. Um, <laughs> it even offers Halloween tours narrated by Steve Buscemi, as well as regular tours for people who care about the jail itself and not just the gruesome tales that are present in it. This penitentiary was known for its solitary confinement as well as very various psychological torture methods used by guards and wardens. Not a fun place to be locked up and repent, which is what it was supposed to be for. Um, it was an utter silent prison, so no one was supposed to speak. Well, the prisoners weren't supposed to speak. Uh, and some of the pr prisoners were actually notorious. Um, I will get more into that, but first I want to give myself a small shout out because I'm now on iTunes. I'm sad. I'm a sad person, but I'm on iTunes in the podcast section as Spooky Scary Fun Times, so you can find me there as well, and if you enjoy my podcast, I hope that you will try, like add me there. If not, that's fine. Just enjoy the episode. Anyway, let's get started. <laughs> ESP, which I will refer to it now because that's less of a tongue twister than Eastern State Penitentiary, was uh, opened in 1829 and was controversial because it's, it was opened with the ideology that they could change behavior with solitude and labor. At the time, it was largely believed that crime was a result of environment, and thus they thought that solitary was the way to go. ESP remained open as a prison until 1971. Though some practices had been changed, the prison itself was designed by one John Haviland, I hope I'm saying that correctly, who designed the halls to be very church-like. This also applies to the cells with small secondary doors which were done in such a way to force the prisoners to bow upon entry. They also had a sim single skylight, the eye of God, so that they knew God was watching them in their cells, because that's not creepy, to help them repent. Also, they had running water, a flush toilet, as well as a pipe which helped provide heat to the cells. It was very modern for its time and provided lots of extra things that jails at that time didn't. The architect found his inspiration for the actual building from British and Irish asylums and prisons. I don't know why that sounded so weird, but we're gonna ignore that, okay? <laughs> a neo-gothic design supposed to instill fear into those who'd committed crimes in the building. It's central hub. I don't know how else to describe it. It's basically like a, I think it's an octagon or yeah, an octagon in the center. And then it's got like cell wings jutting out of the core. That kind of makes it look like a flower shape. I would really recommend um, looking up 
the ESP prison and seeing the pictures of the actual, like how it looks, because it's really an interesting design that some prisons at the time copied. Um, and with this design, he tried all that he could to keep it so that prisoners would be unable to communicate with each other, which he did not succeed with because of the pipes in the cells. When the structure was finished in 1836, it could hold 450 prisoners, and despite how lovely this prison sounds, what with the running water and flush toilets, which by the way were flushed, what was it, twice a week? remotely by guards disgusting and all that it was not this place was ripe with torture and mistreatment of prisons prisoners which may be why there are so people are so adamant that it is haunted and please forgive me for butchering that paragraph or that little bit because i tried <laughs> so hard Anyway, on to the next part. The main goal of this prison, as I've said before, was to repent. This was done with solitary confinement, with an hour in the yard a day, and even then prisoners were not allowed to speak. When out of their cells, a hood was placed over their heads so that they would not be able to see where they were going. Um, they were also unable to receive, receive visits from their family and friends while incarcerated and their cells had Bibles and nothing else other than, like, beds, obviously, <laughs> and a sink and toilet to help them on the journey. The warden was forced to visit each inmate every day while overseers were mandated three times a day, which, while sounding like a good practice, was not because all of the people working there tended to use either psychological or physical torture on inmates for what could be very minor infractions of the rules. The punishments most talked about there were the water bath, which is when the inmates broke, broke rules. They would be dunked in a bath of ice-cold water and then hung from the wall for the night. During the winter months, when this punishment was most popular, the water on the inmates' skin would form into a layer of ice before morning. The mad chair, named for that, because it was not uncommon for in inmates to go insane before the punishment ended. Inmates would be strapped to this chair with leather straps so tightly that it was impossible for them to make the smallest of movements. They would sit for days without food until the circulation in their body almost stopped from the tightness of the straps and lack of movement. Also, with the mad chair, amputations were common. The iron gag was the most deadly punishment and it was specifically designed for inmates who refused to obey the no communication policies, so speaking to other inmates or guards. An iron collar was clamped onto the tongue of the inmate and then chained to his wrists while they were strapped high behind his back. Any movement resulted in tearing of the tongue and severe bleeding. Many inmates who suffered this torture died from loss of blood before their torment ended. The hole, which was the most feared out of all of these uh, torture, like, and that's saying something, because the other, what was it, three were not fun. 
but the hole was the most feared, and they was it was nothing but a pit in the ground where incorrigible inmates would stay locked, sometimes for week, where the weeks. Sorry, I don't know why I said week. That's not plural. There was no light, little air, and those thrown into its torturous grip would receive water and a slice of bread if they got to it before rats or roaches. Very little food was given to them while they were in the pit. It has been reported that the Quakers were not responsible for the punishment the inmates were forced to endure. These were what the hired staff in the prison designed and enforced. These punishments and their solitary existence was for the inmates to repent. We are unaware of how many actually died in this prison, be it due to illness, torture, suicide, murder, or old age. Charles Dickens even wrote about the place after having had the pleasure of a visit. In his writing, visit, like he actually visited. He didn't, like, get thrown into jail. He visited the prison, just so we're clear. Uh, in his writing, he talked about psycho the psychological torture the inmates were forced to endure. The prison quickly became overcrowded, which is what led to its eventual closure in 1971. Some famous people who stayed at this prison include Al Capone, who without a doubt was the most famous of visitors who stayed for a couple of months at the same time as Willie Sutton in 1929, who was a bank robber. And later, William Sutton managed to escape with 11 others in a hole they dug. But that was in 1945. But, like, about the hole, like, how did no one notice that they were digging a hole to escape? So there's that. Also, if I read my notes correctly, there was Pep who was the cat-murdering dog, who was an actual dog. He got a life sentence. Yeah. Um, apparently there is some deb debate on, like, like, why he was actually thrown in jail. Because he was a dog. And some say that the government donated air quotes again, because who donates their dog to prison to increase prison morale? But the dog got an actual number for being an inmate, which was C2559. Like, he has a mugshot and everything. I don't, I don't, like, I don't even know what to say. That is just my favorite thing ever. Um, James Bruno, or Big Joe, and several of his male family members were there as well for their part in the, oh, I'm gonna butcher this name, Kellier's Massacre of 1934, but they were pardoned. Yeah, so each of those are big ones, including the dog, and I'm stuck on that dog. I would really like to focus on that dog, but this is not what this podcast is about. It's about supernatural stuff. But still, a, a, a dog. Yeah. Also, just a quick apologize. Apologize. Apology 
if I don't manage to isolate this audio, um, the screeching in the background is actually my birds. And I a hundred times apologies for that because I know that they're loud, they're Quakers, they, yeah, very loud. I'm very sorry about that. Now, back to actual stuff. Um, and I will curb my curiosity for the dog and go on to some ghosts, regrettably. Weeping, giggling, along with whispering are all common among tourists and workers. Though I am sad that there aren't reports of a dog barking, not over it. Also, shadowy figures. It says one, that's a report that I have been able to find, but I'm going to assume that it's more than one because having just one in a place where so many people died seems to be a little bit odd. And now on to a story. Uh, this is from a penitentiary worker, or it, apparently. Uh, actually, there will be two, uh, and I would recommend reading the actual full-on article because I am only reading portions. So here we go. True to the penitentiary's reputation as a hotbed of paranormal experiences, a few of my eastern state co-workers admitted strange experiences. One used to tell a story about seeing all the iron doors on the empty third floor of cell block 12 closed, and then, just a moment later, returning to see them all open. There were a few tour guides who were afraid to stay in the prison after dark. It may have had something to do with picking up noises that couldn't be unheard on a ghost hunting radio device we call the Squawk Box. And I'm assuming that a Squawk Box is somewhat similar to a Ghost Box. Um, and if you don't know, a Ghost Box is a device that runs very rapidly through uh, radio frequencies and white noise to come back with... Um, words. You can run it forward or you can run it backwards at different speeds. So continuing on, others reported hearing weird noises and jiggling door handles after hours and it drove them to abandon their paperwork till daylight returned. Another claimed that he ran out after hearing voices while working alone one night unable to locate the voices source after multiple searches of the apparently deserted facility. One of the 19th century cell blocks on the penitentiary's west wing, as seen from the rotunda, which is, yes, you know what a rotunda is, I would hope. Make sure to bring your proton pack, my coworker Brian said in the staff room before our first nighttime shift. We all fantasized about greeting paranormal investigators shoulder to shoulder in full Ghostbusters regalia. Who would be Egon and who would be Dr. Venkham, Venkman? It was a hot topic of conversation. Don't laugh, guys, the site manager looked up from his lunch. You wait. Tour guides have been seriously creeped out while working with these things. You'll see. When they start that radio with that radio to the dead, some tour guides, like a young man named Jesse, whom I'm often worked with, toyed shamelessly with visitors. Something, Sometimes down the hall in cell block 7, he'd whisper to wide-eyed tourists, You can hear babies crying. Early one evening, as I entered the empty CB4 from the rotunda, 
and began walking down to make sure all guests were clear before closing, I saw something strange down at the end of the block, between our open door to the outside and the last cell on the right. It looked like a heart a heat mirage, a large shimmering uptight blob that was moving slowly to the right. I stopped to watch it. In about five seconds, the blob seemed to move and disappear into the last cell. I resumed my walking and peered in there when I got to the end, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. You should know that this is about the time in my life that I began to get migraine, which manifested in flashing blobs in my peripheral vision. <laughs> I don't recall any other migraine symptoms in particular that evening, but doesn't a migraine more make more sense than, than the idea that I glimpsed a ghost? Make of it what you will. After I began working at Eastern State, it didn't wait long to sign up for what we called a ghost group. At about 9 p.m. on a summer Saturday, a minor setback occurred as the tour guides, Gage, Susan, Brian, and I discovered that every battery in our light, in our staff flashlight was dead. We clocked in the sur and, and surveyed a group of about 40 people. It was hard to make out their faces, and even in the gloom, but they were saddled and ready, bristling with digital cameras, cameras, electromagnetic frequencies, an EMF detector, which detects the electromagnetic uh, field. It only works in places that don't have electricity or else they are um, messed with, but it, like... If you are supposedly in the presence of a spirit, it will go up. If you're not, it stays dead. Anyway, an electronic voice phenomenon it recorders, EVP recorders, which are, of course, the ghost voice recorders. Blinding flashlights mounting, mounted like coal miners' helmets and the squawk box. Which again, I'm thinking is a ghost box. Just called something different. They were ready, we let them inside. Also in my notes, I told myself to read this whole article if you're interested. I know I also already said that, but I'm just saying it again. It was at, oh, I'm gonna butcher this name too, elaineamabasso.com. Um, the link will be in the description for that, as always, so yeah. That name is hard to pronounce. I don't know. I'll spell it. It's easier if I spell it. A-L-A-I-N-A-M-A-B-A-S-O dot com. But the link will be in the description. And then the locksmith story. So this is the locksmith story. Gary the locksmith. No, the locksmith. Again, I'm having trouble speaking today. Known to all concerned, only as Gary the locksmith, was known to possess some sort of extrasensory perception that led him on site precisely when any of the prison ancient locks went arise. Awry, not arise. The site manager claimed that he did not even have Gary the locksmith's phone number, but that the man magically appeared when the correct, with the correct equipment to finesse any offending locks. Over the year, years, the length of the locksmith's ghostly tale, shared repeatedly not just with ESP staff 
and guests, but also various TV networks, increased until it took a better part of an hour to hear it. So the short version is that once while working alone on a lock in the last cell on the right in cell block floor, four, I really am butchering this. I'm sorry, guys. Gary the locksmith was suddenly gripped by an acute physical discomfort and anxiety, as if someone grabbed him around the chest. Some actively debunk this experience as a minor heart attack, but learning that an inmate once murdered a guard close to that very cell does not dampen anyone's enthusiasm for the locksmith's story, especially since a TV show called Ghost Hunters filmed an episode at the prison and one of the hosts, startled by some unseen presence in cell block 4, screamed, dude, run, and fled the block in terror. Another famous haunting was that of Al Capone, who spent eight months at this institution where he was convinced that he was being haunted by a man he had killed in the Valentine Massacre, James Clark, and claimed that the man was tormenting him. So, the cell blocks that are reportedly haunted are cell block 6, which is where the black shadow glides along the wall, and cell block 12 is where supposedly an evil spirit has ghostly faces appearing on the walls and tortured screams. There are also sensations of being watched everywhere. I also need to make a note that the locksmith story that was told before was found everywhere when I was researching this place. Every single place pretty much had a different version of the locksmith story. So I don't know particularly what is real and what is not on that, but come to your own conclusions. I like it. I think it's fun. So that is it for ESP. I would say that with the amount of evidence, plus how widely known this place is, adds to kind of the credibility of the haunting um, plus the fact that there was so much torture and negative energy there I think you have a pretty good chance that the haunting is legitimate um, I would 100% recommend looking up EVPs and photos uh, for the photos even just looking up photos of like the prison as it is now like it's a historic building so it's really interesting to see how everything looks and like how the prisoners were kind of forced to live but the evps like there are i would bet a couple of class a's which are clear evps where you have actual like words rather than having to like lean in and listen and kind of pretend you can hear something um so looking into this place was incredible to think about what all those people went through it's no surprise even if the hauntings are fake that people would believe in it because it is bone chilling to read what the people the prisoners had to go through um like that's a lot of torture to endure and the tongue thing like people a lot of people bled out and died f for talking. 
Yeah, so that kind of thing kind of bleeds into a building's bones. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth looking up uh, photos, EVPs, um, and the building's actual structure. Because it is it's really an interesting place. And it is in Philadelphia, and they do do tours. That sounded really weird, my tours. Um, they do do tours. They're open seven days a week. They do tours. Um, I don't know. They do tours, though, every single day. And in Halloween, they do the Halloween tours, which are at night. So, would recommend. Enough of my bumbling. I shall leave you in peace. This has been me, so thank you for listening. I hope you had a good time listening. I had a blast with the research, and I hope that you join me again next week. I'm doing Aokigahara Forest, because I'm a liar, apparently. And before we go to Canada, we are going to Japan. Um, I'm stoked to be talking about it. I've already done all of the research, so now I just need to do a write-up, and then, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm really excited about that one. So I will talk to you again next week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, it's at MindlessDWH, capital M, D, W, and H. And I will do my Facebook page eventually. But yay, iTunes, so follow me. I'll try and get on um, the Android one as well, if anyone cares. But anyway, um, uh, till next week. I'll be corny and say stay spooky because I'm a loser. Okay, bye. Quick side note. Um, yeah, so I didn't manage to isolate the audio because I'm bad at life. Um, so the birds can be heard screeching throughout the entire thing. So I'm really sorry about that. Um, Bartok and Kara are not apologetic in the least. They could care less because they're horrible little gremlins who pretend not to love things. Um, so just sorry, 100% sorry for that. I hope you stick with me next week. They hopefully won't show up again on any of the future podcasts. Thank you.